Story eleven of Strictly Business More Stories of the Four Million by O. Henry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Warren Cotty, Gurney, Illinois. Story eleven The Things the Play. Being acquainted with a newspaper reporter who had a couple of free passes, I got to see the performance a few nights ago at one of the popular vaudeville houses. One of the numbers was a violin solo by a striking-looking man not much past forty, but with very gray, thick hair. Not being afflicted with a taste for music, I let the system of noises drift past my ears while I regarded the man. There was a story about that chap a month or two ago, said the reporter. They gave me the assignment. It was to run a column and was to be on the extremely light and joking order. The old man seems to like the funny touch I give to local happenings. Oh, yes, I'm working on a farce comedy now. Well, I went down to the house and got all the details. But I certainly fell down on that job. I went back and turned in a comic write-up of an East Side funeral instead. Why? Oh, I couldn't seem to get hold of it with my funny hooks somehow. Maybe you could make a one-act tragedy out of it for a curtain-raiser. I'll give you the details. After the performance, my friend, the reporter, recited to me the facts over the Wurzburger. I see no reason, said I, when he had concluded, why that shouldn't make a rattling good funny story. Those three people couldn't have acted in a more absurd and preposterous manner if they had been real actors in a real theater. I'm really afraid that all the stage is a world, anyhow, and all the players men and women. The thing's the play, is the way I quote Mr. Shakespeare. Try it, said the reporter. I will, said I, and I did, to show him how he could have made a humorous column of it for his paper. There stands a house near Abington Square. On the ground floor there has been, for twenty-five years, a little store where toys and notions and stationery are sold. One night, twenty years ago, there was a wedding in the rooms above the store. The widow Mayo owned the house and store. Her daughter, Helen, was married to Frank Berry. John Delaney was best man. Helen was eighteen, and her picture had been printed in a morning paper next to the headlines of a wholesale female murderess story from Butte, Montana. But after your eye and intelligence had rejected the connection, you seized your magnifying glass and read beneath the portrait her description as one of a series of prominent beauties and belles of the lower west side frank berry and john delaney were prominent young beaux of the same side and bosom friends whom you expected to turn upon each other every time the curtain went up one who pays his money for orchestra seats and fiction expects this that is the first funny idea that has turned up in the story yet. Both had made a great race for Helen's hand. 
when frank won john shook his hand and congratulated him honestly he did after the ceremony helen ran upstairs to put on her hat she was getting married in a travelling dress she and frank were going to old point comfort for a week downstairs the usual horde of gibbering cave dwellers were waiting with their hands full of old congress gaiters and paper bags of hominy then there was a rattle of the fire escape and into her room jumps the mad and infatuated john delaney with a damp curl drooping upon his forehead and made violent and reprehensible love to his lost one entreating her to flee or fly with him to the riviera or the bronx or any old place where there are italian skies and dolce far niente it would have carried blaney off his feet to see helen repulse him with blazing and scornful eyes she fairly withered him by demanding whatever he meant by speaking to respectable people that way in a few moments she had him going the manliness that had possessed him departed he bowed low and said something about irresistible impulse and forever carry in his heart the memory of and she suggested that he catch the first fire escape going down i will away said john delaney to the furthermost parts of the earth i cannot remain near you and know that you are another's i will to africa and there amid other scenes strive to for for goodness sake get out said helen somebody might come in he knelt upon one knee and she extended him one white hand that he might give it a farewell kiss girls was this choice boon of the great little god cupid ever vouchsafed you to have the fellow you want hard and fast and have the one you don't want come with a damp curl on his forehead and kneel to you in babble of africa and love which in spite of everything shall forever bloom an amaranth in his heart to know your power and to feel the sweet security of your own happy state to send the unlucky one broken-hearted to foreign climes while you congratulate yourself as he presses his last kiss upon your knuckles that your nails are well manicured say girls it's galuptious don't ever let it get by you and then of course how did you guess it the door opened and in stalked the bridegroom jealous of slow tying bonnet strings the farewell kiss was imprinted upon helen's hand and out of the window and down the fire escape sprang john delaney africa bound a little slow music if you please faint violin just a breath in the clarinet and a touch of the cello imagine the scene frank white hot with the cry of a man wounded to death bursting from him helen rushing and clinging to him trying to explain he catches her wrists and tears them from his shoulders once twice thrice he sways her this way and that the stage manager will show you how and throws her from him to the floor a huddled crushed moaning thing never he cries 
will he look upon her face again and rushes from the house through the staring groups of astonished guests and now because it is the thing instead of the play the audience must stroll out into the real lobby of the world and marry die grow gray rich poor happy or sad during the intermission of twenty years which must precede the rising of the curtain again mrs berry inherited the shop and the house at thirty-eight she could have bested many an eighteen-year-old at a beauty show on points and general results only a few people remembered her wedding comedy but she made of it no secret she did not pack it in lavender or mothballs nor did she sell it to a magazine one day a middle-aged money-making lawyer who bought his legal cap and ink of her asked her across the counter to marry him i'm really much obliged to you said helen cheerfully but i married another man twenty years ago he was more a goose than a man but i think i love him yet i have never seen him since about half an hour after the ceremony was it copying ink that you wanted or just writing fluid the lawyer bowed over the counter with old-time grace and left a respectful kiss on the back of her hand helen sighed parting salutes however romantic may be overdone here she was at thirty-eight beautiful and admired and all that she seemed to have got from her lovers were approaches and adieus worse still in the last one she had lost a customer too business languished and she hung out a room to let card two large rooms on the third floor were prepared for desirable tenants rumors came and went regretfully for the house of mrs berry was the abode of neatness comfort and taste one day came romonti the violinist and engaged the front room above the discord and clatter uptown offended his nice ear so a friend had sent him to this oasis in the desert of noise romonti with his still youthful face his dark eyebrows his short pointed foreign brown beard his distinguished head of gray hair and his artist's temperament revealed in his light gay and sympathetic manner was a welcome tenant in the old house near abington square helen lived on the floor above the store the architecture of it was singular and quaint the hall was large and almost square up one side of it and then across the end of it ascended an open stairway to the floor above this hall space she had furnished as a sitting-room and office combined there she kept her desk and wrote her business letters and there she sat of evenings by a warm fire and a bright red light and sewed or read romonti found the atmosphere so agreeable that he spent much time there describing to mrs berry the wonders of paris where he had studied with a particularly notorious and noisy fiddler next comes lodger number two a handsome melancholy man in the early forties with a brown mysterious beard 
and strangely pleading haunting eyes he too found the society of helen a desirable thing with the eyes of romeo and othello's tongue he charmed her with tales of distant climes and wooed her by respectful innuendo from the first helen felt a marvellous and compelling thrill in the presence of this man his voice somehow took her swiftly back to the days of her youth's romance this feeling grew and she gave way to it and it led her to an instinctive belief that he had been a factor in that romance and then with a woman's reasoning oh yes they do sometimes she leaped over common syllogisms and theory and logic and was sure that her husband had come back to her for she saw in his eyes love which no woman can mistake and a thousand tons of regret and remorse which aroused pity which is perilously near to love requited which is the sine qua non in the house that jack built but she made no sign a husband who steps around the corner for twenty years and then drops in again should not expect to find his slippers laid out too conveniently near nor a match ready lighted for his cigar there must be expiation explanation and possibly execration a little purgatory and then maybe if he were properly humble he might be trusted with a harp and crown and so she made no sign that she knew or suspected and my friend the reporter could see nothing funny in this sent out on an assignment to write up a roaring hilarious brilliant joshing story of but i will not knock a brother let us go on with the story one evening ramonti stopped in helen's hall office reception room and told his love with the tenderness and ardor of the enraptured artist his words were a bright flame of the divine fire that glows in the heart of a man who is a dreamer and doer combined but before you give me an answer he went on before she could accuse him of suddenness i must tell you that ramonti is the only name i have to offer you my manager gave me that i do not know who i am or where i came from my first recollection is of opening my eyes in a hospital i was a young man and i had been there for weeks my life before that is a blank to me they told me that i was found lying in the street with a wound on my head and was brought there in an ambulance they thought i must have fallen and struck my head upon the stones there was nothing to show who i was i have never been able to remember after i was discharged from the hospital i took up the violin i have had success mrs berry i do not know your name except that i love you the first time i saw you i realized that you were the one woman in the world for me and oh a lot of stuff like that helen felt young again first a wave of pride and a sweet little thrill of vanity went all over her and then she looked ramonti in the eyes and a tremendous throb 
went through her heart she hadn't expected that throb it took her by surprise the musician had become a big factor in her life and she hadn't been aware of it mr ramati she said sorrowfully this was not on the stage remember it was in the old home near abington square i'm awfully sorry but i'm a married woman and then she told him the sad story of her life as a heroine must do sooner or later either to a theatrical manager or to a reporter romanti took her hand bowed low and kissed it and went up to his room helen sat down and looked mournfully at her hand well she might three suitors had kissed it mounted their red roan steeds and ridden away in an hour entered the mysterious stranger with the haunting eyes helen was in the willow rocker knitting a useless thing in cotton wool he ricocheted from the stairs and stopped for a chat sitting across the table from her he also poured out his narrative of love and then he said helen do you not remember me i think i've seen it in your eyes can you forgive the past and remember the love that has lasted for twenty years i wronged you deeply i was afraid to come back to you but my love overpowered my reason can you will you forgive me helen stood up the mysterious stranger held one of her hands in a strong and trembling clasp there she stood and i pity the stage that it has not acquired a scene like that and her emotions to portray for she stood with a divided heart the fresh unforgettable virginal love for her bridegroom was hers the treasured sacred honored memory of her first choice filled half her soul she leaned to that pure feeling honor and faith and sweet abiding romance bound her to it but the other half of her heart and soul was filled with something else a later fuller nearer influence and so the old fought against the new and while she hesitated from the room above came the soft racking petitionary music of a violin the hag music bewitches some of the noblest the daws may peck upon one's sleeve without injury but whoever wears his heart upon his tympanum gets it not far from the neck this music and the musician called her and at her side honor and the old love held her back forgive me he pleaded twenty years is a long time to remain away from the one you say you love she declared with a purgatorial touch how could i tell he begged i will conceal nothing from you that night when he left i followed him i was mad with jealousy on a dark street i struck him down he did not rise i examined him his head had struck a stone i did not intend to kill him i was mad with love and jealousy i hid nearby and saw an ambulance take him away although you married him helen who are you cried the woman with wide open eyes 
snatching her hand away don't you remember me helen the one who has always loved you best i am john delaney if you can forgive but she was gone leaping stumbling hurrying flying up the stairs toward the music and him who had forgotten but who had known her for his in each of his two existences and as she climbed up she sobbed cried and sang frank 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 three mortals thus juggling with years as though they were billiard balls and my friend the reporter couldn't see anything funny in it end of story eleven the things the play